The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Adios, old friend. Yeah, I've got no secrets and no regrets. Well, a lot of regrets, but the point is I've got nothing to hide. Kind of like the way Progressive shows you their competitors' rates. You gotta put it all out there, baby. Excuse me, miss. Does this heart belong to you? Would you like it anyway? Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparisons not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Ah, the copperhead snake. It hisses before attacking. But that's not a copperhead. That's the Sullivan's RV freshwater tank overflowing into their black one, which is backing into their vent pipe, making for a very different kind of attack. One that arrives just in time for taco night. It's wild out there. When it gets too wild, Progressive has your RV covered. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Hi, this is Maury Moreland Morrison, here to tell you Geico has more than just great savings. Much more. Geico's been around for more than 75 years, back when they were using Morse code. Sorry, that's just my sense of humor. What's more, with Geico, you get 24-7 access to licensed agents on the app, online, or over the phone, so you can talk to them at night or in the morning. So forevermore, just know that no other auto insurer has more more than Geico. More power to you. Geico. Expect great savings and a whole lot more. everybody to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where the Los Angeles Lakers have been playing absolutely spectacular basketball the last couple of days. And by playing absolutely spectacular basketball, I mean they haven't been playing at all. Because let's be real, the last couple of days without the Lakers, without a Laker game, has actually been pretty refreshing and pretty stress-free. And sadly, it's the best they've looked in the last two weeks. With that being said, Alan, happy Chinese New Year to you and to all of our listeners who celebrated the turning of a new year this past weekend. Do you know what year it is in the Chinese calendar? I do. So you're the rooster. You're the rooster, everybody. So happy Danilo Gallinari eat calamari year. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out to that guy that was sitting near Tommy at that one game. (laughs) Exactly. So yeah, happy Chinese year to everybody. But also happy belated birthday to our good friend and co-host Thomas Alexander, who will be joining us a little later for our Tankapalooza intro to the 2017 NBA draft segment. So shout out to Tommy. And if you want to randomly send him a really cool sports gift for some reason, make sure to go to SteinerSports.com. Steiner Sports is the leading provider of hand-signed sports collectibles and memorabilia on the internet. If you use the promo code ALMIGHTY2017 at checkout, you will receive 20% off all of your purchases. So go to SteinerSports.com and get Tommy something nice for his belated birthday. Or you know what? Actually, go get yourself something nice because we know that's exactly what Tommy would want you to do. Isn't that right, Alan? That is exactly correct. (laughs) So with all these happenings and wacky things swirling around, I know there's one very important thing that's consuming Alan's mind right now. And I believe that's last night's riveting and epic crowning of Miss France as the new face of Miss Universe 2017. And I know Alan was all up in that with his charts and analytics. Isn't that right, Alan? Yeah, so last night my brother had a birthday thing at this uh, brewery in Long Beach. And fortunately it was on television and I was able to um, watch it the entire time and not engage with any of my brother's friends. So yeah, I had those spreadsheets all out on my iPad and 
had a great time. You made the right decision, my friend. Shout out to the Philippines who hosted this year's competition. Shout out to last year's Miss Universe, Miss Philippines, Pia. And shout out to Miss Singapore because she was pretty hot. <laughs> With all that out of the way, all the important stuff, please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate interview us on iTunes because the more you rate interview us, that's how many double doubles Zoo Manchu will continue to string together in succession this season. The same, unfortunately, cannot be said for his $64 million Russian counterpart, Mozzie, whose only double-doubles this season have come in the form of an in-and-out beef patty and bun. That makes me want to cry. That makes you want to cry, right? But speaking of Mozgov's and reviews today, though, Alan, you are going to read tonight's review as Timofey Mozgov, who is currently at the in-and-out drive-thru, getting his order of double-doubles animal style with a shake on the side. And he's holding back his annoyance at the fact that the In-N-Out server seems to be having too much of a good time at the irony of serving him a double-double to a man who just got paid $64 million to get zero double-doubles as the starting center for the Los Angeles Lakers. So, did you get all that? I got it. Okay, here we go. This is uh, too late to quit by uh, Kazam was great uh, November 30. Uh, oh, come on. This is the best Lakers podcast out there. Without these guys, I don't know if I would have made it to the Byron era. <sighs> They're always enthusiastic and positive, unlike the guy who's taking my order, <laughs> which is great. After a tough loss, I'm having a tough time right now. I just want a Neapolitan shake. Even better after a big win like my big burger. Come for the Lakers talk. Stay for the player impressions that range from laughably, I'm not laughing right now, terrible, <laughs> I feel terrible, to so dead on, I want to die. It's scary. That is scary. I just wish they recorded even more often, just like I wish I got more double-doubles in the hamburger and basketball style more often. Uh, I do appreciate the occasional quick hit episode. I want to hit this guy right after games, though. Okay, goodbye. All right. Thank you, Timothy Mozgov. It was clear that you were very pissed that this server was laughing at you. But I got to say, man, you just got to bring it on the court and start getting some actual double-doubles instead of just ordering them from the in-and-out line. Bring me some extra spread, please. <laughs> Will do. Uh, but thank you, Kazam was great. Is that the guy's name? Yes. Okay, Kazam was great. Did you watch Kazam at all, that movie by Shai? Oh, for sure, dude. I saw it so <laughs> many times when I was a kid. That and Space Jam. Well, there you go. You have something in common with the reviewer. So thank you, Kazam was great. Thank you, Timothy Mozgov, for reading that review, despite the fact that you were being kind of chastised at the, at the In-N-Out drive-thru. Speaking of which, before we get to our NBA 2017 draft talk, we're going to do some quick hitting Lakers notes before we get started. In a couple of weeks, maybe two or three weeks on President's Day weekend is obviously the All-Star weekend, All-Star game. And on Friday is when they usually have the rookie sophomore game. The last two years, it's been called Team World versus Team USA. And D'Angelo Russell will be returning to play in that game. And he'll be joined this year by Brandon Ingram. So congrats to those two. And honestly, it sounds like both of them could use some lighthearted, no pressure fun. And then after that, get the entire week off to get their bodies right. So, Alan, do you like that setup? The uh, Team World versus Team USA or do you you prefer they go back to just team rookie versus team sophomore I think they should do rookie versus sophomore and if it just happens that 50% of the players are international then great but uh I don't know in the past I feel like they've kind of forced the issue I know I think think it was last year maybe the year before uh what's his name Rafael Neto or Raul Neto yeah Raul Neto (laughs) 
Yeah, I'm just like, ah, okay, like, I know you lit the Lakers up in one game, <laughs> but come on, dude, you're not supposed to be in this thing. There are probably some other guys who uh, could have filled it in. But in, in looking at the international roster this year, it's pretty solid. <laughs> now, that's it's, good, it's at least. actually really, really good. Um, I think they're actually going to beat Team USA. So mm, interesting. Maybe for this year it works. Otherwise, I, I don't know what the purpose is like as far as ratings and things like that. I, I think it is what it is, so we'll see. Yeah, I think I just hope – I like that they're doing the whole globalization of the game and everything. It's great for that exposure. But, if I mean, obviously, if it naturally follows this year's progression in terms of all the international players are that are getting picked are legit, then I'm totally fine with it, you know? But mm-hmm. like you said, last year it felt like a force where you were seeing guys who weren't even playing for their own teams, but because they were international players were getting, getting a spot, you know, over right. more deserving dudes – who were like rookies or sophomores who were just so happened to be American, but they were getting pinched for a spot because Raul Nato had to play, you know? So that's, I think, <laughs> the, that's the more disappointing part, but yeah. And then outside of that, speaking of getting their bodies right, it sounds like D'Angelo Russell is just about ready to give it a go on Tuesday against the Nuggets, I believe, right? I think they're Yes. Nuggets. And so his calf seems to have responded well to some rest and rehab as he's partaken in the Lakers' last two practices and had no ill effects. So that'll be great to get D'Angelo back on track right before All-Star Weekend because we know it takes him like couple games or two to finally just start playing decently again. So if we can have him on the roll or ready to go after All-Star Weekend, that would be great. Outside of that, and before we get into the draft talk, I wanted to quickly touch upon two other topics, and that's mainly Zubats and Ingram. First, on the Zoo front, I know you also like that nickname. What was the nickname that you like now? Zuda. Zuda Chris. It's Zuda. <laughs> <laughs> but what have you thought recently about his continued strong play and just the fact that he's had two straight double-doubles in a row, and he actually leads the 2016 NBA rookies in double-doubles with three? Oh my gosh. Crazy, right? I mean, it's sad, wow. but it's also cool because he only started playing in this new year, right? And yeah. he's every time he's played 20 plus minutes, he's gotten a double-double. So that's pretty impressive. Wow. So I'll ask you, what have you liked the most and what are you most impressed by by his recent stretch here? Uh, I love the way he sets screens and it might just look that much better because barely anyone on our team sets a solid screen besides him. So yeah. it's just like my eyes aren't used to seeing, you know, such a beautiful lower body stance, mm-hmm. but that's something that I've been very pleased with. Other than that, he's very aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't hesitate at all. Doesn't look lost out there. And sure. He had that one game. Was it against Portland where he was five for 15? Yep. It's fine. Like the fact that he got 15 shots up is crazy. Yes. And I mean, for him, they were all chippies. So those are going to go in at a much, much higher rate. So the fact that we have him as a consistent low post threat is awesome. And I think the other thing that has impressed me is has been his endurance. You know, he yeah. said many times that he's lost a lot of weight and it looks like it, not just physically when you see his body, but just him running up and down the floor you know he doesn't struggle to get back um, on defense or anything like that he played really well against Rudy Gobert of all people so he's taken this thing seriously and if you listen to his post-game interviews I mean there's great stuff in there like you can tell he's very confident that um, he could be a, a major impactful player so yeah, uh, all signs point to a good thing there. At this point, don't you think Timofey Mozgov should be using some of his $64 million to get Ivica Zubats as much free in and out as he wants? 
<laughs> I think he should just write Ivica Zubats a check for 32 of those 64 mil. He totally should. I agree. And just to reiterate your points, points what I like, <laughs> did, I, did I actually say por- points? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> a little Freudian slip there. Whoopsie. I mean, that's what it looks like when I'm watching him. Whatever that means. <laughs> <laughs> Just just to reiterate oh, your points, what I like the most is that he no longer seems afraid of the moment. I think he seems yeah. pretty relentless. And like you said, he took 15 shots against Portland. He only hit five, and he only did that in 27 minutes, right? Yeah. And in spite of the fact that he was getting his shots blocked a, a bunch of times and getting it thrown back at him, he just kept hitting, he kept shooting. And that's what I like the most, that all of a sudden he's able to kind of do that thing where he just flushes the last shot down the toilet pretty much and doesn't let it affect him. You know, we, we've seen from so many of our guys how easily how easily missed shots or bad plays deters them, right? But for yeah. Ivica, it's like, oh, I'll just do better the next play and I'll just shoot it differently the next play and try something different. And so I just like that relentlessness out of him, that aggressiveness. And, you know, even Luke said he got all those shots in 27 minutes by setting hard-ass solid screens and rolling hard. It's, like, very simple. Mm. And I just like everything Luke is saying about him, just giving him more minutes, too, to reward him of his play. The last two games, he's had 26 and 27 minutes, I believe, and deservedly so. And in these last two games, you know, they were pretty competitive against Portland and Utah, and he was playing at the end of the fourth quarter. You know, these are very legitimate minutes, and they meant something. And the fact that he was contributing to the team going on positive runs was huge. In Utah, he had 16 points, 10 rebounds, one assist on six of 11 shooting, and against Rudy Gobert, no less. You know, that's a tough matchup against Mm -hmm. somebody that long, but the fact that he can hold his own down there and hold his own weight is, is great. And then in Portland, 12 points, 10 rebounds, two assists, and three blocks. So that's that was awesome to do it on both ends as well. And then outside of that, just continuing to show his array of versatile moves in the post and on the offensive end with his really soft flip touches, flip shots, and then sometimes going into the post and shooting those short hooks that go in softly to hitting these really nice short mid-range jump shots off the pick and pop and pick and roll. Those are very impressive to see from him on pretty much doing it on all these different fronts. And then he had that really sick putback dunk in Utah. Yeah. on a Larry Nance miss. So that was pretty like aggressive. He's like, hey, I got your back, Larry, my BFF. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So yeah, everything we've been seeing from Zubats has been very, very impressive. And at this point, you know, someone asked me, do you think Luke should make a lineup change and have him start? And for me, I, I kind of understand why Luke probably hasn't started him yet. I think it's to protect the kid a little bit, you know, mm. get his confidence up by having him come off the bench against a lesser starting center. And so far, it seems to have worked. My main concern is, or like what I'm most focused on is not so much the starting, but is he going to get the most minutes? And so far, that's been the case because yeah. I 100% believe he should be getting way more minutes than Absolutely. Oscar. Yep, yep. It's funny, you know, as far as like the local media and even the national media, all the talk has been, you know, should the Lakers start tanking and things like that, play all the young guys, all the minutes possible. And then they're just going to lose. It's like, well, I would actually argue that Zubats is going to get you more wins than Mozgov will. Exactly. So that being said, I'm not advocating for playing Mozgov more minutes than Zubats. Of course, I'm just saying for everyone out there that's like, oh, yeah, yeah, just play Zubats a lot and you'll lose. It's like, well, if you've been watching these games, we've been in it and they've been running the offense through Zubats and he's been a focal point of it and we've played well. So what do we you know, what do you have to say to that? Yeah, and I'm totally fine by it 
just seeing how much promise this guy continues to show, and the Lakers have already admitted. They admitted this after Summer League and preseason, you know, where they were like, we didn't expect him to come along so quickly. But now that he's doing it in regular season games, that's even more so a fact. And it's just really great to see that he could potentially become such an integral part of this young core, given that he was like a number 32 pick. So props to Zubats. He'll continue to get double-doubles on the court, and Mozgov will continue to just buy double-doubles at in and out So there we go. Lastly, on Brandon Ingram, what do we make of his last week, which was a struggle to say the least? Obviously, he struggled in Dallas where he shot like 3 for 13. And back then, we just thought that was just a brief bump in the road. But since then, he's had two lackluster donuts. He has been unable to hit any shots or get into any sort of rhythm. I guess my question to you is, are you worried or concerned about this recent slump? And what would you chalk this recent slump up to, I guess? Because the last two games... Luke Walton's kind of also pulled him out pretty quickly. He's Mm -hmm. only gotten 20 minutes and 19 minutes the last two games, and he was 0 for 6 against Utah and then 0 for 5 against Portland without any other extracurricular stats to to back him, really. So what have you thought about his recent play? Yeah, he doesn't look nearly as aggressive, for example, in that game against Indiana where he was all over the place affecting things offensively and defensively. Honestly, and I know this is like what Luke said and a lot of people have suspected, so it seems like I'm pointing out the obvious. I think it's just a fatigue thing. Yeah. You know, at this point, what have we played? Like about 50 games. Uh, Last year in college, he played 30-whatever, and it took a lot longer than this to play those games. Mm -hmm. So I just don't think his body is used to it. And physically, he probably doesn't have that um, extra pep in his step, no matter how hard he's trying. And, I mean, it's fine. Like... We have what four? We've had like four days off between uh, the last game and then the one against Denver. All Star games coming up, so couldn't come at a better time. Uh, I would like it if he were more aggressive, despite yes. feeling fatigued. That being said, there's probably some cognitive dissonance going on in his head. Like, well, I don't feel good, so I'm not gonna go for it because it's gonna be bad for my team. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, that makes sense for sure. But sometimes you just got to push through it and, and find a way, you know, like get down low. If, if you aren't able to get in the paint as easily because your legs feel heavy, fine, like use some other tools. He has great fundamentals. As far as his outside shot not dropping, yeah, like a lot of that probably is his legs kind of feeling like jelly. Um, but get back to the free throw line, you know, do things like that um, just to help yourself out a little bit. That being said, I feel like his defense has not suffered. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So thankfully, you know, he he clearly understands like those principles and the fatigue hasn't killed him there. But, uh, overall, no, I'm not like ridiculously worried at all. It's just unfortunate after a game like Indiana, you think, all right, here we go. And it's like, Oh, Oh crap. You don't look very good right now. Yeah. At the same time, I think it's, I guess on our part, it was unrealistic to expect him to keep trucking along given the fact that, one, he hasn't never played this many games in the span of four months. And also, he's never played this many minutes within those games. You know, Luke's been riding him like 35, 38 minutes. So It's like a college game is 40 minutes long. Right. (laughs) And he almost plays that. At most in college, he was only averaging 27 minutes a game, you know. So it was only reasonable to expect that even if he had a hot stretch that it would ebb and flow once again and even you know honestly the fact that he's even had a hot stretch to start this 2017 is impressive enough Mm. I think we're going to continue to see these ebbs and flows as the season progresses and but honestly I think that all-star weekend will 
makes such a huge difference for not only him, but the other young guys as well, because this year we get that full week off after that weekend. And, yeah. you know, honestly, just the environment and fun of All-Star Weekend, I think will do him good, just so that he can finally sure. play freely again, let loose. It's like a non-pressure environment. In fact, if anything, it's to celebrate guys like him, and maybe he'll find a little bit of himself again. If you remember last year in that rookie sophomore game D'Angelo and Clarkson were going off and they were having so much fun maybe because they've been under Byron for the entire year and he was like oh we can finally play basketball but this year I think it'll be the same for Brandon Ingram like not have to think too much and just get back to how he likes to play how he knows he can play and hopefully he'll have a good game and then right after that he'll get some much needed rest uh, for the whole week so I think that'll do him well and hopefully after that if he continues to struggle and put up like donuts after the All-Star weekend, then I'll start to be concerned, you know. But I think right now, like you said, it seems like Luke is very cognizant of the fact that this guy needs rest. So I wouldn't even necessarily call him uh, call the fact that he's been pulling Brandon Ingram's minutes out an indicator that he just thinks he's playing poorly. No, no, no. I think if you're a coach and you're watching your player out there struggling physically, you just recognize like, okay, I'm not doing him any favor favors by leaving him in there. I'm going to give him a little breather. Exactly. So that's probably why he's only had 20 minutes, 19 minutes. I think everybody at this point, including the coaches, just slowly chucking and looking forward to All-Star Weekend. And uh, we can only hope that helps rejuvenate all of the guys in in many respects. For Julius Randle, it'll be rejuvenation with his kid and just getting some rest. That guy seems like he has pneumonia, right? And it's He does. He's getting better, but but it seems like everybody's kind of getting hit on all fronts, whether it's physically mentally etc etc so we just got to chuck along and hopefully things will get better moving forward especially after that president's day weekend all right with that said we are going to quickly shift over to our main topic of the night and this is something everybody's been talking about because the lakers haven't been doing well and it's going to be it's becoming more and more clear that regardless of whether or not the lakers exceed their win total net from last year by like 10 games, they might still end up being in the top three anyways, right? So we're going to be talking about Tankapalooza, Tankapalooza 2017, what the word tanking even means, what the what the phrase we need to go full tank even means at this point, and then also get into some of the top prospects of this year's draft and who we like right now. Obviously, these things are very malleable and likely to change by the end of the season, but it's just a good introduction to something we should probably at least be monitoring right now. Whether we monitor that super closely down the road is another question, but I think it's good for us to start talking about some of these prospects and these things. The more and more it becomes apparent that we might be headed for the same lottery fate that we have been the last few years. So with that said, catch us on the turn. Tommy will also be joining us and he'll be calling in from his car. So apologies for the sound quality, but Hope you guys enjoy our analysis. Hi, this is Maury Moreland Morrison here to tell you Geico has more than just great savings. Much more. Yes, while Geico could help you rack up more moolah faster than you can say metamorphosis, they've also been the fastest growing auto insurer for more than 10 years. That's more like it. Furthermore, Geico has fast and friendly claim service. That might seem like an oxymoron, but it's not. All the more reason to say no other auto insurer has more more than Geico. Geico. Expect great savings and a whole lot more. There is more to me, Queen Eliara of Elfgard, than my elven magic. Just as there's more to Geico than saving you money, Geico also gives you 24-7 access to licensed agents online, on the phone, or on the Geico app. And while I am a mighty elf queen, I am also a mighty big fan of barbecue potato chips. Minions! More smoky mesquite. Geico. Expect great savings and a whole lot more. 
I'm Kobe Bryant of the Los Angeles Lakers. Okay, so Tankapalooza 2017 is back. Alan couldn't join us for this segment, but I've got Tommy here to talk all about the Lakers going all in on the tank, question mark, and also just an introduction to the 2017 NBA draft class. So Tommy, before we get into the prospects, I just wanted to ask you about where you stand currently on the Lakers tanking and what it even means to embrace the tank. And is there really anything the Lakers can do and anything under the Lakers' control to actually, quote-unquote, fortify the tank? So I'll, I'll leave it to you. What does embrace the tank mean for you? Uh, well, I think the Lakers are tanking as we speak. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's the I, I feel like the word tank tanking is used very weirdly. It's almost like some people use tanking. You know, people use the word tanking to mean different things, and everybody assumes that they're talking about the same thing, but no, they're not really. I think some fans use tanking to mean, let's go out there and intentionally throw games. That's never going to happen in professional basketball. That's not what you want your franchise to be associated with. The players are never going to tank. Lou Williams is not going out there thinking, if I play like crap in this game, Maybe my franchise will have a chance of getting a slightly higher chance of getting a better lottery draft pick next year. He's thinking I would need to get my stats and slash I'm a competitor. So I want to win this game. And the Mm -hmm. same goes for all of these guys. You think D'Angelo Russell, although it's like to his benefit to have as many good teammates around him as as possible. He's not thinking I'm going to go out here and completely sacrifice my career and my competitiveness and my integrity to throw games. So we have a 15% higher chance of keeping our lottery pick next year. They don't care about that kind of stuff. The Lakers are tanking. Like tanking is you don't really make every effort possible. Although I'd argue they even do this, but you know, you might say tanking is like sort of like what the Sixers did with the process. Like for years they had all this uh, cap space and they didn't really try to sign anyone. Right. Yep. That, that could be maybe arguably construed as tanking. Tanking could be construed as like, okay, maybe you just play your young guys for, uh, you know, a few weeks. But the problem with the Lakers is they're all like half their team is young guys. So, and honestly, most of their best players are young guys. So just by playing basketball, they're tanking because they're not that good. Yep. You know, so there's nothing really we can actively do. Like I, we should trade Nick Young and we should trade Lou Williams just because those things make sense from a basketball standpoint, like we're those two guys are not part of our future. By the time our young core is developed and like are able to play in the NBA, those two guys are going to be useless NBA players. You know, you Lou Williams is going to be like 34 or 35 years old by the time our young core is finally where they need to be. So for those reasons, it makes sense to trade those guys. That's not tanking. Trading those guys is not going to be the difference between you, you know, winning a few extra games because we're the second worst team in the NBA with those guys. You know what I mean? Lou Williams was averaging 33 points a game off the bench for like an eight game stretch. And we went like one and seven in that time, you know, so it's not like, oh, you trade those guys and suddenly we're just going to score 30 points less per game. No, like we'll figure out how to like get the points in other ways you know, I just think overall our team is not good enough to win a lot of these games anyway. So it's like trading those guys is not necessarily going to hurt us that bad. It might be like a difference of two or three games at most. At most. And and that's not tanking. Still, that's not tanking. T- you, because yeah. it's like 
that's just making a smart basketball decision, you know? Who knows what we would get for Lou Williams and Nick Young? Maybe you get, like, an actual young piece who, you know, he might end up being nothing, but or he might end up being a piece that you could use moving forward. So right. it's, I, you know, it's, it's like you're not going to... You're not going to trade Lou Williams and Nick Young for Carmelo Anthony, you know, so any move, I guess, theoretically, you could some somebody could look at it and be like, oh, they traded Lou Williams. He was their best player. They're tanking. No, we've been tanking the entire season. You know, yeah, we but have we play Brandon Ingram more minutes than any other rookie in the NBA, I think. So you and we have like a veteran and that's with a veteran like small forward on our roster who we're paying $18 million a year. Despite that, we're still playing Brandon Ingram the most minutes in the league. So it's, I mean, for rookies. So it's, it's like we are already tanking, I guess, if that's what you want to call it. It's like in a way, all bad teams are tanking, you know, like Phoenix is not going to go trade Devin Booker and Tyson Chandler or something for Carmelo Anthony for no reason. You know, like it's that's that's just not a smart basketball move that has nothing to do with tanking. You know, they're not sitting there thinking like, oh, okay, but if we do that, maybe we'll win a few extra games and our and our draft pick is going to be bad. No, they're thinking we're not going to do that because Devin Booker is the future of the franchise. And why would we saddle ourselves to this huge contract when Bender and Chris and all these other young guys we have are still young? And by the time these guys are good, Carmelo Anthony is going to be 40 years old. You know? Right. I think at the end of the day, when people say we got to start tanking, you know, sometimes people misconstrue that and say we got to start tanking. So Luke needs to find a way to intentionally throw games by playing the worst lineups out there. Or Mitch needs to talk to Luke somehow and secretly devise a plan to throw out the worst plus minus groups out there. And that's never going to be the case. There might be some weird, there's going to be, people might come up with conspiracy theories and whatnot, but that's literally never going to happen. So to your point, there's nothing that we can do as fans, but I think when people say embrace the tank, that is a personal construct that you can come to for your own self yes. and the way that you watch basketball. So that's really what people mean. Um, so going forward, Tommy, do you embrace the tank? So but what I mean by embrace the tank is when you're watching these games, are you hoping for a competitive game? And then at the end, you're hoping we somehow just screw up enough times to inevitably throw the game or lose the game, actually wouldn't say that I'm actively hoping for that, but I will say that I accept it. You know, like when the Lakers are a competitive team, when they do stuff like that, like imagine if you just want to put yourself back in a time machine to like 2007, when the Lakers had Kobe Bryant in his prime and they were fielding a slightly above 500 team. It was excruciatingly painful every time we lost the game because it was like we were close in a lot of games and we just didn't have enough talent to win. Yeah, You know, and those games suck because you really want to win. It's like we don't want to be a seventh seed or eighth seed anymore. We're trying to move up. I guess in my case, I'm embracing the tank in, in, the, in terms of no matter how well we play, I think we're still going to end up with a bottom five record in the league. It's just a matter of are we going to be second worst or fifth worst? That's that's right. kind of how I see it. And so I'm not really like I'm not going to actively root against them. But when they lose, I'm not going to get as frustrated as I did when we were 10 and 10 and thinking, like, can this team make a playoff run? You know, like I it's like if they lose, I'm like, okay, great. It's like these past two games, I think, are a really good example. I'm talking about Portland and Utah. Those are tough road games. And we were competitive the entire time. 
and making pushes in the fourth quarter, and then we just do- didn't have the talent to finish it down the stretch. Right. And those types of losses are, I mean, if you want to call that embracing, I was like fine with the outcome. So in that yeah. sense, I embrace the tank. I think for me, I'm not actively looking for them to lose, at least not right now, yet. Yeah. Uh, I'm not that concerned with them eventually getting so good that they're out of this top five-ish area. Because as we've seen this year, there's just a lot more parity in the league to there, the point is, where yeah. it doesn't matter. You know, the Lakers could essentially have 10 more wins than last year and still be a bottom four team. Yeah, you know, which is crazy. Everybody yeah. else surrounding them has become uh, marginally better, so we don't have to worry about that. I guess when it starts to get a little tricky is if we are heading into April and the Lakers are you know, it's top three, but they could drop to top five. At that point, we're probably all going to be rooting for the Lakers to just lose all the rest of their games, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But I think right now, I just still want to see them continue to improve. And at the very least, you know, let's get over that 17-win hump so we can say we're better than last year. Right. So right now, I haven't hit that point where I'm 100% fully embracing it. But as we inch closer and closer to March and April, then I think that'll be a different story. But honestly, I look at the other teams ahead of us or below us, and I don't see any other teams getting that much worse there's than us. no way i mean so many of these teams there's no way that we're gonna pass them it's like nobody's gonna catch catch i guess if you want to say in quotes catch brooklyn in terms of the worst record in my opinion um yeah. like even if lynn comes back or finally gets healthy or whatever uh and it then it, then it's us I think Dallas is ultimately like they're a veteran team coached by Rick Carlisle. Even if he starts sitting some of his veterans towards the end of the season, like I think they will have built up enough of a gap ahead of us to where it won't really be an issue. Um, The only other team I can like kind of think could maybe make a push, I guess, if you want to call it that with us at the end is Phoenix. But it's like, if we end up number two or end up number three, it's kind of like last year, like, it's going to come down to like a, a coin flip anyway, even if we end up with the second worst record, it's like, I think a 50, 50 chance of yeah. keeping our pick. So, and also another plus in our favor is none of these other teams have a protected top three pick, So they're not even worried about that. We're the only team that has to worry about staying in there. Yeah. So for these other teams who are playing, they don't, they're not necessarily under this imperative or prerogative to like, Oh, we got to lose guys. They're probably just going to play it out and be like, we're going to get a top four, top five pick anyways. And that might help us jump into the top three or win the lottery. Cause who knows exactly. what pick gets you in there. Yeah. So at the end of the day, yeah. Embrace the tank is really just a personal construct of how we're going to view the games. You can moan and groan if the Lakers somehow win. And that, that'll be really, the only difference between whether you've embraced it or not the front office has nothing to do with it really there's no personnel switches or changes that luke can really do outside of being so blatantly obvious that jose calderon is playing 40 minutes and that's never gonna happen happen. and now insurance-minded speeches from geico it's a common expression don't look a gift horse in the mouth however what if the horse's mouth is filled with useful insurance tools this is the exact case with the Geico app. Yes, the app is free and therefore a gift horse. However, look inside the app and behold, emergency roadside assistance, digital ID cards, bill pay. Get the Geico app. Look it in the mouth. Get amazing services. Thank you. There is more to me, Queen Eliara of Elfgard, than my elven magic. Just as there's more to GEICO than saving you money, GEICO also gives you 24-7 access to licensed agents online, on the phone, or on the GEICO app. 
And while I am a mighty elf queen, I am also a mighty big fan of barbecue potato chips. Minions? More smoky mesquite. Geico. Expect great savings and a whole lot more. All right, with that, all that said, let's get into the actual prospects. We're going to start with the most obvious choice. I'm working off Draft Express's draft board right now. We've got Markel Foltz from Washington yeah. at number one. And this kid is 6'4", 18 years old right now. He's got a 6'9", almost 6'10", wingspan. But I think the most impressive part about this guy is just how fluid he looks, how controlled he looks, and just how mature he looks at this age. He is averaging right now in 35 minutes 23.3 points on 48% shooting from the field, 40% from three-point land, 6.1 rebounds, 6 assists, 1.6 steals, 1.3 blocks. And I think... The most impressive part about him is he has elite athleticism that he uses judiciously. It's not like a Russell Westbrook, I'm always going to go 100% full out and always try and tear the rim down. He knows when to use it at specific times. And then the rest of the times, he looks like Kyrie Irving, just very free-flowing, very crafty in the lane. If I could describe his game, he's pretty much like... Dwayne Wade but with a three-point shot already yeah or like a James Harden because he's also very crafty or I don't know like a Kyrie Irving plus Russell Westbrook hybrid because I've seen him make these incredible chase down blocks on the defensive end in fact sometimes I think he uses his his explosiveness more on the defensive end to make these crazy highlight reel blocks than he does to tear the rim down on the other end so Tommy what have you seen from Markel Fultz that you like and would you consider him as your number one prospect uh Fultz is definitely my number one prospect at some level I I think especially after last year looking at the scouting I I I stopped trying to get cute with like oh well this guy's got this like one interesting quirk about him that could make (laughs) him like the best player of all time no sometimes there's just one guy who is objectively the best and I think in this case uh, for this year's draft I think Markel Fultz is objectively the best He is like one of the most dominant and efficient scorers I think we've seen in a long time. You can make the argument that he plays on a bad team, so his stats are inflated. I mean, his team is horrendous. There's Um, really bad. It's even worse than Ben Simmons' situation. Exactly. Um, But he plays, he still, despite that, he plays in a power conference. So he's playing against very tough competition. We'll see how, as the conference play progresses, how his stats I guess, sort of changed so far. They still look pretty good, I think, in most games. Um, mm-hmm. And, and yeah, I think he's just, like, overall the best player. I think Dwayne Wade, the, what you just said right there, is, like, I think what I see the most in him. Um, and I think it's a lot to do with his measurables. He's, like, that similar, like, Dwayne Wade is around 6'4", that similar size. He's He can handle the ball, uh Fultz is currently listed as a point guard, but I really think he could play either spot. Similar to Dwayne Wade, like when Dwayne Wade was was a rookie, he played point guard pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he sort of developed more into uh, the shooting guard. And I think really his measurables help with that. And Fultz, same thing. He's like 6'4", but he has this insanely long wingspan. Um, and actually, I thought I saw somewhere that it was like 6'11", or something ridiculous Maybe. like that. Which kind of actually matches Dwayne Wade like if whenever we play Dwayne Wade or like whenever Dwayne Wade's on TV I feel like one stat they frequently bring up about him is he is one of the like all-time shot block leaders for shooting guards or like people six yep. four and below he's like the all-time leader it's like you know obscure stats but seriously 
Dwayne Wade has averaged like a block per game over the course of his career. And I think that's, you know, it's like, okay, who cares? But really, it makes you a solid defensive player to have that kind of wingspan on the perimeter because people aren't expecting it. Um, And so I see that in Fultz. I don't know how his defensive energy is right now. I haven't seen enough of him. But he definitely has all the tools on both ends to be like a seriously a game-changing player. And I think it's been a while that we've seen a guard who is such a sure thing as a game-changer. Um, come into the league. You, you could talk about like the centers like Embiid and Chris Dabbs and those are guys, Carl, uh, Carl Towns, you get that one big man who just completely changes your franchise. Anthony Davis also, you know, we've seen several of those guys. I feel like we haven't really seen a guard in a while who is like, this guy's going to be drafted and immediately change the course of his franchise. And I think yeah. Fultz is that kind of guy. Agree. Maybe not since Kyrie Irving or John Wall. Exactly. And I think Markel Fultz is another guy I compare him to because he just has such a fluid looking controlled game is Brandon Roy. Yeah. When Brandon Roy was really athletic and I was watching his game against Arizona, which they unfortunately lost. Yeah. I think what impresses me actually is that he makes the right play in terms of passing and playmaking. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't always look for the home run play like we've seen with D'Angelo oh, before. For sure, yeah. He actually just makes the right pass the extra pass whether or not it's just a hockey assist or whatnot so that was what impressed me the most and like you said in terms of the Dwayne Wade traits he has a post-up game a really fluid mid-range game that's just so pure and then a three-point shot that Dwayne Wade didn't really ever utilize early on in his career even till now really so I am very impressed by Markel Fultz and he deservedly should go number one right now all right let's move on to a guy probably everybody's familiar with because he has like four different brothers or whatever yeah <laughs> um, then I'm talking about Lonzo Ball from UCLA who you know Lonzo Looking at his body, he kind of looks like Zach Levine, kind of. Kind of does. He does, right? He's like super scrawny, super skinny, but man, does this guy have some incredible hops. Yeah. So Lonzo Ball is measured at probably 6'5", 6'6". He actually, his wingspan's not that tall right now. I'm only looking at the 2014 measurements, but maybe it's grown since then. He only has a 6'7 wingspan in 2014, but I'm sure it's... But for a point guard, that's that's still amazing. Yeah, exactly. This year in NCAA for UCLA, he's averaging 15 points on 54% shooting from the field, which is incredible. Yeah. 43% from three-point land, and hitting more threes than Markel Fultz, actually, so 2.4. And he is averaging 5.8 rebounds and an incredible eight assists. And in the the NCAA, eight assists is pretty much like 13 assists in the NBA. And 1.7 steals, 0.9 blocks. And what I've seen from this guy is just incredible athleticism, but also it all goes back to the playmaking, right? The one comp that you continually hear from Fultz is like a Jason Kidd type who can pretty much do everything from rebounding. Um, He'll probably be able to hit a wide open three from the NBA level, just like Jason Kidd eventually did to close his career. But it all goes back to, I just think, his incredible vision. Yeah. Um, I heard some scout actually compare him to Steve Nash in terms of his playmaking ability. Mm -hmm. And also, actually, because of his elite field goal percentage, some reminiscent a little bit of Chris Paul as well. I'm not sure about whether he has Chris Paul's mid-range game because with his wonky shot where he kind of winds it up to the left. Yeah, yeah, how is he going to get that off, especially off the dribble? Mm -hmm. I think Jason Kidd is a more apt comp because Jason Kidd can hit open threes. And it seems like if... Lonzo Ball has any sort of space, he'll be able to hit it at the NBA level, almost like Kevin Martin was always an elite three-point shooter. So maybe Lonzo can do that. So I've just been impressed by his ability to lead the break, be athletic. Most of the time you see guys lobbing it to him for dunks. And so this guy's just incredible athletically. He has potential to be a very good defensive player if he puts his mind to it because his measurables are pretty good. It's extremely athletic. 
And so actually one of my friends that I play pickup ball with on Saturdays, I just found out this weekend that he does medicine and physical training with the UCLA basketball team. And so I asked him to tell me about Lonzo Ball a little bit. And he's like, I can't really divulge too much. Just that he is his playmaking and vision is incredible. And during practice, he'll show off some amazing flashes of what he can do in terms of just, you know, throwing it off the backboard and for dunks and stuff, which actually they've done in actual real game situations. So what do you think of Lonzo Ball? And do you have him number two like Draft Express does? I have Lonzo Ball number two for sure right now. Um, And the reason is Lonzo Ball is probably the best pure point guard prospect in the draft. Um, Mm -hmm. Whereas I thought Fultz is probably the best overall player. I just think Lonzo Ball, his vision is insane. Like when we used to watch those clips of D'Angelo a few years ago when he was at Ohio State and you would see the highlight reels and this guy was just making unbelievable like ESPN top, like number one, you know, plays of the day. Right. But we, there was always that feeling like, and you know, to credit, um, Oh my god, I'm blanking on his name. What's that that NBA draft law guy that we used to always we we taught, had it on? Oh, Ed, Ed, Ed Isaacson, NBA Ed, draft law. Exactly, yeah. Ed Isaacson called this, and he was so far he was been proven right. Um, D'Angelo is so obsessed with like the home run plays that his like simple playmaking is not that good, mm-hmm. um, and his he hasn't really demonstrated that he has that like elite level vision. Like once in a while, he gets it. And so he makes these, like, shockingly amazing passes. But in terms of just a guy who, at this age, you just see him get on the floor and immediately he knows exactly... It's like he's been playing, you know, NBA point guard his entire life. That's what I see when I see Lonzo Ball. He knows exactly where to go. His vision is absurd. It, It almost reminds me of, like, the first time... I think I saw Ricky Rubio play. I want to mm. say it was in the Olympics um, in like 2008 because that was before he was or maybe that was right before or right, right after he was drafted. I can't remember. But well, the first time I ever saw Ricky Rubio play, I was like pretty blown away by how that he was like finding guys. And it was all simple stuff, but it was so like precise that it just like, it looked amazing. You know what I mean? And yeah. I, that's, how, that's sort of how, how I view Lonzo Ball. But the crazy thing about Lonzo is like, he's also got a ton of other offensive skills. It's not, he's not coming out of college like John Wall, where he could really, really pass and he was really, really athletic, but he couldn't really do anything else. You know, yeah. like Lonzo Ball can do a lot of other things. He is a crazy athlete. He can really shoot the ball. I mean, like you said, I would be interested and the main reason he's not going to go number one I think is because he's there's no guarantee that he the way he scores is going to translate really I think right. he can be an elite three-point shooter in the NBA for the reasons you said but like you said it, it, you can't just bank on the fact that this guy is going to be the next next Steph Curry in terms of like three-point shooting efficiency like he's going to have to score in other ways um and, like, because he's so athletic, you know, you figure a decent chunk of his offense is going to be, like, getting to the basket. But if he can't finish in the mid-range or hit, like, mid-range jumpers, like, that's kind of a concern. Um, yeah. But, yeah, for all – besides that, I just think that you need a true point guard to win nowadays. And because we are semi-lucky in the fact that we have this D'Angelo Russell who has pretty good size and length and – can definitely play off the ball. Um, it gives us some flexibility to go after a guy who 
is much more of a true point guard. And these guys would complement each other so much. Like D'Angelo's old man, like crafty style game. Right. And, you know, really good shooting and, and shifty moves. And then Lonzo Ball, who's just like going to run run you down like Russell Westbrook and make the smart play and dunk on your face. You know, so well. Also, D'Angelo would love to have him just because Lonzo Ball is pretty much a spot-up three-point shooter, right? Exactly. So D'Angelo would be able to pass to the perimeter almost like Swaggy P, and then also lob it to him if need be for dunks and yeah. stuff. So I do think that at that point it would be interchangeable between the two. Obviously, Lonzo Ball, when things are bogged down and we need the offense to flow more, then he'll initiate the offense with his playmaking. If we need some scoring, it's going to land on D'Angelo to do that. You know, So I agree with you. It could be potentially very devastating to have that tandem. And also at the same in the same vein, Markel Fultz and D'Angelo would be amazing exactly. too. So. And that's the cool thing about having a guy like D'Angelo because he's 6'5 with a 6'10 wingspan. And he like pretty much played a shooting guard his entire like life until college. Um, and even in college, I mean, he was playing with a kind of like a true point guard in the backcourt. Uh, you can play him with another point guard and it's totally fine. And this was like, I mean, we talked about this uh, like last year. We always used to talk about how before we drafted D'Angelo and we were scared they were going to take Okafor. We like fantasized about this like hybrid super tall guards who could do everything and drive and pass and shoot threes. And if we ended up with either Fultz or Lonzo ball, that would really, you know, we thought it might be Jordan Clarkson, but it seems like that's not going to pan out at least to the level that we hoped. But if we got Lonzo ball or Fultz, it would, that would really be pretty insane to watch. It would complete that fantasy dream. It would. But at that point, it would be reality. Yeah. Um, one one tidbit that my friend who, you know, works with Lonzo Ball every day said, he was like, oh, yeah, Lonzo by the draft wants to get up to 220. And I was like, uh, what does he weigh? Yeah. I was like, what does he weigh now? He's like, 180. And I was like, did you tell him that's very unhealthy? He's like, oh, yeah, he, there's no way he can do that. He's going to break his ankles or something yeah. or break a bone in his body. So that, that was just an interesting tidbit where I was like, okay, that's good that he wants to bulk up, which everybody should, you know. But from to go from 180 right now to 220 before the draft starts, I was like, that sounds kind of strange but yeah yeah, that was the only tidbit he gave me but yes Lonzo Ball number two makes a ton of sense either one would be great for the Lakers so what if we stick to number three because it's unlikely if even if the Lakers are within the top three that they get the number two pick three straight years in a row so likely we either win it or we stay at number three so who are the draft prospects at number three and right now actually about two weeks ago or so it used to be Dennis Smith Jr. But actually, Josh Jackson from Kansas has actually moved up there. And Josh Jackson is a wing player who, when I first saw him play, I was like, I do not understand why this guy is a top five pick. He looks like Andrew Wiggins with a broken jump shot. What's going on here? And then I started to watch his tape a little bit more, and I was more and more impressed by his playmaking. That is his number one trait, his playmaking. This guy is 6'9", 6'8", with a 6'10", wingspan. This year, he's averaging 16 points on 50% shooting. His He's only shooting 32%, 33% from three, but that's actually up from when it started at the beginning of the season. He's averaging 6.7 rebounds and three assists, which for a wing is pretty impressive yeah. at the NCAA. That's pretty much five assists in the NBA. But his defensive stats are incredible as well. 1.6 steals, 1.2 blocks. So for me, Josh Jackson is one of these defensive juggernaut kind of wings who can also play make and handle the ball really well he has shiftiness to him I really like his athleticism he is explosive man this guy's dunks yeah. are 
incredible. They are ferocious. Yeah. They are ferocious. So I looked at his jump shot. Obviously, it looks broken. He has some sort of weird hitch. I think he's slowly correcting it, which is a good thing. But like I said, I think his main attribute right now is just his ability to play make for others. He just makes the right passes, makes the right reads, has pretty good vision for a wing player. And the best thing is, unlike Andrew Wiggins, remember Andrew Wiggins' biggest knock on him coming out of college? It was like, can this guy play make? Can this guy handle the ball? Right? Yeah. Well, Josh Jackson, that's not a problem. Yeah. And so for me, Josh Jackson could eventually become, especially if he shores up his three-point shot, a Kawhi Leonard type. Yeah. Especially if you know his baseline is just a really good playmaker, really good defensive player, and holy crap, is he explosive. One draft scout compared him to, at worst, he could be Sean Marion. A oh guy who could gosh. do everything for you, but also play defense. If you remember Sean Marion, he averaged like four or five assists a game. So what, what do you think about Josh Jackson and his potential at the number three spot, given that the Lakers you know, already have Brandon Ingram at the wing? But Josh Jackson is so malleable and his skills are so translatable that you could potentially see him, especially if he shores up his jump shot, as maybe a shooting guard. So what do you think about Josh Jackson? Yeah, so I think that's the most important point, right? I think when I first thought about Josh Jackson, I was like, okay, I'll I'd still probably go Dennis Smith Jr. just because we could use another guard. And if we get another small forward, like what does that do for Ingram? Because I do think Ingram is like uh, ultimately going to develop into like a franchise level talent on both ends just because of his work ethic and his attributes and all that. Um, yeah. So that was always my hesitation with Josh Jackson. But like you said, the more I've seen of this guy, I feel like this is... Josh Jackson is sort of everything that I think Andrew Wiggins was supposed to be. You know, I heard all this hype about Andrew Wiggins back in the day. And this guy's like the next LeBron. And this guy is, he's going to be a game changer for whatever team takes him. And he's definitely the number one pick. And people were even saying he should go number one over Joel Embiid. And (laughs) I watched Wiggins a lot. And he definitely showed flashes of that when he was at Kansas. But I never really got the sense for like a lot of the reasons that you were just talking about that this guy is going to be that type of player with Josh Jackson. I think this guy could be that type of player because you know, what is athleticism? Like what is that going to get you if you're not able to get your own shot or use that athleticism off the dribble, like going towards the rim in an aggressive fashion? If you can only use your athleticism in transition or, you know, coming off, picks or you know moving without the ball off the basket yes those are all like really important and good skills to have but that's not gonna like take you to that next level of like Tracy McGrady you know like in his prime type guys and honestly when I see Josh Jackson play it almost reminds me of like how I felt watching like Vince Carter when he was like a rookie in the NBA like that level of dominance when he has the ball in his hands it's just scary because he's so explosive with his first step. He has a decent handle. He's not just like a, a train, you know, a freight train coming down the lane. Like he can make plays, like you said, like he's going to make the right play. But if you give him a little bit of space, and believe me, I've seen him do this with like seemingly no space. I don't remember the last time we saw a college prospect at the wing position who could just take you off the dribble with a quick first step off the perimeter, take it right to the rim and jump over your head and just like hammer it down. And that's what Josh Jackson does. I think that based on what I've seen, 
I would take him number three despite having Brandon Ingram because I think Josh Jackson, like you said, he's super malleable. I think he could play the shooting guard in the NBA. I think his ideal position is the three. But between him and Ingram, arguably both of those guys can play shooting guard. I mean, Ingram, you might just want to, especially as he gains more strength, you might want to put him at the three because he's much he's longer than Jackson. Um, and teams typically like to have their, you know, their wings with the extreme length because, you know, you're guarding guys like, uh, you know, Durant or the Greek freak. Or There's a lot of gifted uh, scorers at the wing nowadays. So you need like a guy with length at that position. But I think Josh Jackson at 6'8", he could easily play the two. He's a little tall, but Clay Thompson is 6'8", you know? So, and because he can handle the ball and make plays, you don't really lose any of that by putting him at the two. And especially if you're thinking about a team like the Lakers where you have, hypothetically speaking, D'Angelo at the one, Ingram at the three, Randall at the four. That's three positions already with guys who can make plays with the ball in their hands. Like they've already started to develop Brandon Ingram as a point forward. Julius Randle is like a born point forward almost in a way, you know, he can play make at least a little bit. And then you obviously have D'Angelo. So Josh Jackson doesn't need to be at the shooting guard, like an elite playmaker. And frankly, most shooting guards are not. You just have to be able to do something with the ball in your hands, basically. Yeah, exactly. And I think he provides an aspect that I think the Lakers don't really have. You know, we have Larry Nance as an explosive dunker, but Larry Nance can't really do that on his own. You know, we're missing that Kobe dunk fest posterizing guy who can also create for himself and create for others. Because, you know, our top players right now are probably D'Angelo Russell and Brandon Ingram, but those guys aren't explosive athletes, you know? They won't posterize somebody. So it would be great to flank those two with a guy like Josh Jackson who could just be running down the lane, running down the baseline. And just absolutely destroying the rim and destroying his opponent, you know. So, I mean, he does all the little things really well, including excellent passing, cutting, really good touch near the rim. He just needs to shore up his jump shot. But 32% from the college three-point line is not that bad right now. And if you know what his deficiencies are early on, then just like Kawhi Leonard, the way that the Spurs worked with him from the very beginning, then you can actually know which issues to address and then progress him from there properly. For sure. So yeah, I I also, I would take him at number three as well. So he's definitely an interesting prospect to keep track of. The only thing I would be wary of is he needs to shore up his free throw shooting because he's only a 55% free throw shooter. And that usually doesn't bode well for your stroke in the NBA in translating it. But there's some hope in terms of him shoring that up because I think his three-point shot has gotten a lot better as the seasons progress. And from what I hear, he's kind of gotten rid of that hitch as well. So that's a good thing. Yeah, and shooting is something you can teach. You know what I mean? It's like... Yes, you can make the argument that, okay, some people are just bad shooters forever. Okay, true. But on the flip side, it's like we we were scouting Wiggins, you know, like we were already well into the tank when uh, Andrew Wiggins was a freshman in college, remember? So like we saw a lot of games with Wiggins in, at Kansas and we would often say to each this is way before we did this podcast, but we would say to each other like, I don't know. Like, I kind of see what the scouts are saying. Like, is this guy going to be able to get his shots in the NBA? Like, he couldn't even consistently dominate at Kansas. And Kansas is obviously, again, power conference, really good school. But it's it just like it always felt like, how is this guy going to be? Every shot he was taking felt like just a, a set shot. You know, like he'd stand behind a pick or stand wide open in the corner and he would just take a set shot. He never really showed any moves off the dribble or anything like that. 
And now he is like a 25 or what, you know, maybe not 25, but he scores like 23 points per game or something, you know? So, and that happened in like three years and he is actually a very gifted scorer right now. Um, And he's only going to get better. So that kind of stuff, I have a little bit of confidence Jackson can develop, especially because he's so explosive off the dribble. He's such a threat to make a move with the ball that you have to sort of give him a little space. You can't really crowd him because it's not like crowd him and make him put it on the floor. No, he kind of wants to put it on the floor. So if you let him put it on the floor, he's going to like take you right to the rim and jump over your head. It's insane. I, I, I really like that guy. These days, the trend is to go for just really long, lanky, but explosive type guys who can also play make. You know, even if they can't shoot, we've seen from Giannis, as long as you can play make, it might not matter at all. And if you can use your your length and your measurements on the defensive end even better. So imagine like a more athletic Brandon Ingram who's who's has slightly shorter wingspan and that's Josh Jackson pretty much. And if he can just shore up his jump shot, you know, sky's the limit. So to right. close this out, let's just kind of run through some of the last prospects really quickly. Number four is Dennis Smith Jr. who, you know, it might change towards the end of the year. He was ranked at number three and I've seen some scouts who prefer him over Lonzo Ball actually just because kind of like Markel Fultz, he can do everything. He can shoot really well. He can pass really well. He's as explosive as Markel Fultz and Lonzo Ball. Yeah. His only downside, obviously, is his size. He's a six-one yeah. point guard. 6'3 with shoes. He does have a 6'3 wingspan, which isn't that great as well. 6'5 maybe. But he's averaging 19 points on 45% shooting, 37% from three. 4.4 rebounds, 6.5 assists, 2.2 steals, 0.4 blocks. And everything I've heard from him is that he's just a very dynamic, explosive, flashy type of player. Almost like an and-one mixtape type of dude. I've heard that his decision-making is kind of a little bit sketch, kind of yeah. like the way D'Angelo Russell would make uh, ill-advised passes and go for the flashy play. But if you've ever seen this guy dunk before, it looks like Russell Westbrook came out of nowhere pretty much. And I think a good comp for him that I've heard is almost like an Eric Bledsoe type player, but he could develop into a better shooter. Or I've also heard Kyle Lowry, actually, like a more explosive Kyle Lowry. So what do you think about Dennis Smith? I pretty much agree with everything you said. I mean, I again, my my one reservation here is his size, which is not a deal breaker. I mean, he's not like 5'9". Yeah. He's still 6'1", and he seems like he could be a strong guard, so I see where the Lowry comparisons come in a little bit. But, yeah, I just feel like it's kind of – it's almost a little bit unfortunate for him. He could be, like, easily in, in many drafts in recent history, a number two overall pick, and nobody would bat an eye. But this year is, like, so – I feel like we've been saying this for a while, but no, I think this year – I think last year we actually were pretty fair, and we said, okay, it's, like, pretty top-heavy in the top two. And then there's a significant drop, and the rest of the lottery is pretty good, but they're all about the same. I think that mm-hmm. was kind of our assessment of last year. And I think that was fair, but I think this year it is like in the top three, you could potentially, with those three guys we just talked about, get a guy who can single-handedly change your franchise. Not to yeah. say that Dennis Smith Jr. can't do that. I just think it's more a little bit more of a stretch uh, for him. He could pro- He might be able to do it. I don't know, but... I just feel like with these other three guys, there's they're such game changers potentially that you you have to you have to take one of those three first. Yeah. I like Dennis Smith though, just because he's such a dynamic, shifty point guard who is just so athletic. I mean, these guys 
it's funny because Dennis Smith might be the most athletic out of uh, Lonzo Ball and Markel Fultz. Which is crazy. Which is crazy, right? But just having a guard like that who can run super quickly and just jam it down your throat as well and then also play make is pretty incredible. And if he yeah. becomes a if he becomes like an elite three point shooter, then he could become like a more athletic Damian Lillard. Who knows? And I, just yeah, it's it's important in the NBA. People are always like, Oh, you need a point guard. But like what's the one of the reasons there's a lot of reasons why you need a point guard, right? But one of the reasons that I feel like doesn't give enough doesn't get enough credit is you need a guy who can go out there and wear out the opposing team's point guard. You know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. If, if you have if you're going up against Kyrie Irving and he has to defend Russell Westbrook for seven games in a row in a seven game series, he's going to eventually get worn out. You know, and having so having that type of player definitely holds some some value. Exactly. All right. So let's move on to number five. Right now, Jason Tatum is ranked there. I don't really like Jason Tatum that Mm. much. He looks a little bit too scrawny. I have seen him play. He does have very good offensive tools in terms of a really good post game. Nice, fluid turnaround jump shot. He actually is not that great of a three-point shooter, which is kind of disappointing. Mm-hmm. He is 6'8". He's a wing player. He's got a 6'11 wingspan, which is actually really nice. He's averaging this year, and I think he was he was injured to start the year, so he's only played 13 games. He's averaging 16 points on 43% shooting, which is not great at all. Only 29% from three. That's not good. Right. He is shooting 84% from free throw line, so there's probably hope for his jump shot there, obviously, because it looks like a very fluid stroke, so I don't really have a problem with that. But he's averaging 6.4 rebounds, only 1.9 assists. He does have 1.6 steals and 1.5 blocks, so he is pretty athletic as well. But I don't know if I see enough, especially in this draft. You know, maybe he's a top five pick last year, but this draft, it's like so crazy that I don't see anything that really shines above anybody else with Jason Tatum. He's he's pretty scrawny and thin. He's like, he reminds me kind of, he looks like Austin Rivers. I don't know. <laughs> he just looks kind of weird to me. Probably describe him as a DeMar DeRozan type player right now. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he can become an elite three-point shooter. I do like his athleticism. I do like some of the skills he's flashed in the post and whatnot, but... Right now, he hasn't shown shown me anything elite with regards to there's no elite athleticism, there's no elite shooting, and there's no elite playmaking. Maybe defensively he can be because he's pretty good at blocking shots and getting steals, but I don't know if you've seen anything out of uh, Jason Tatum. No, I tend to agree with you again on this one. I, I think Jason Tatum was a very, very hyped high school pr- uh, prospect. Yep. Yep. But as we've seen in recent years, it's very often the case that you know, hype happens in high school for a variety of reasons. It's not to say that Jason Tatum is not going to be a good NBA player. I think he could be very good, you know. But he's just not, I've not yet seen anything that puts him in the same category of really any of the first four guys that we talked about. Um, yeah. So in that sense, I sort of see, I mean, I don't know. There's some guys deeper. I don't know how deep we're going to go. Here, let's go with number six because this guy is rising. Jonathan Isaac. Yeah, that guy. That's the one guy I was thinking of. So Jonathan Isaac is 6'10". He's pretty much 6'11", though, with a 7'1 wingspan. This guy, if you thought Brandon Ingram was lanky and tall and (laughs) stretchy, this guy blows Brandon Ingram out of the water somehow. I almost describe him as a better, more fluid Thon maker. Yeah. And, you know, we were making fun of Thon maker last year, but even in the summer league and preseason, we saw, okay, well, maybe Thon maker has something he has going some, on here just with his yeah. length. 
Yeah, so if you already have a better Thon Maker at this level, and obviously we don't know what Thon Maker's age is, so he could be 25, but, you know, <laughs> Jonathan Isaac is a legit 19 years old and already has the, these skills at 19, 6'10", 7'1", wingspan. He's aver- he's only playing 25 minutes, but in those 25 minutes, he's averaging 13 points on 52% field goal shooting, 36% from three, so he can definitely hit it from the outside. Eight rebounds, one assist, 1.2 steals, 1.6 blocks. Pretty much the only thing I think he's lacking offensively is probably playmaking ability. Mm -hmm. But outside of that, he's flashed a really good and decent three-point shot. He's flashed the ability to handle the ball. And at 6'11", that's pretty incredible, you know, because you're probably going to be going up, up against power forward. So it's not like you have to have elite shake to you. And obviously on the defensive end, some of the blocks these this guy has on people are ferocious and insane. So what have you seen from Jonathan Isaac? And I think he's this year's, you know, Giannis Antetokounmpo, just like super raw, super stretchy, but also flashes a lot of offensive upside as well. So yeah, I I I really like Jonathan Isaac, and it, it's almost a sh- it's like kind of a shame that we don't have our pick top five protected. I know you could yeah. say that like every year, but <laughs> this is a guy who I don't know if he's going to ultimately sneak into the top five. I think he should, but he's a guy that I think because the top four is so stacked. If you had number five, you could probably get him and be very happy. I think this is like exactly the kind of. Uh, power forward that you want in the modern NBA. Um, he's yeah. ex- like you said, extremely long. He could stretch the floor. He has some skills with the ball, but you know, it's like maybe he's a little bit clunky to play the three, but he's so bit, he's so tall and long. You don't need him to play the three. And he seems yeah. to have some defensive awareness, at least enough to play the four in the NBA. And this is the type of guy that honestly, I mean, I'm not, again, we were probably very unlikely we end up in a scenario where we have a chance to take this kind of guy. But this is the kind of guy where you take him and you almost like start to reconsider your entire rebuild. You know what I mean? It's like you start to consider like, okay, maybe it's really time to think about what can we get for Julius Randall? Because if you're, I'm again, not to get too ahead of ourselves in terms of thinking about who's our starting center of the future. But if you're going to move forward with a guy like Avica Zubats, you want uh, somebody like Jonathan Isaac next to him who can stretch the floor, shoot threes, handle the ball a little bit. Um, and I think Jonathan Isaac, for all those reasons, is, is a super interesting player. And yeah, it's really a damn shame we don't have our big top five protected, <laughs> but... And, I mean, here's an interesting comp, and you probably won't get it because they're not the same skin tone, but, I mean, Jonathan <laughs> Isaac could essentially be like a lesser version, less athletic version of Chris Tapp's Porzingis, right? Oh, no, I could see that, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So if if you have that option, then you'd absolutely have to look at consolidating the talent in terms of Julius Randle and other guys. So Jonathan Isaac is just really interesting right now. He could even continue to rise, but based off of pure potential and his measurements... He is looking very intriguing, especially with the trend of all length athleticism and being able to stretch the floor in the NBA. So I think that'll pretty much do it for our introduction to the NBA 2017 draft. Obviously, as we move forward towards spring and April, that's going to only intensify even more. But before we go, Tommy, I have one thing to ask you. Yeah. What is our tank slogan this year going to be for some of these prospects? Do you have any? Because if you don't, I have some that I'm going to throw your way around. Okay, I literally have none, so you should go for it. Okay, here we go. Tell me which ones you like. Rapid fire. I got LOL for Markel. Yeah, that (laughs) was weak. 
All goes to hell for Markel. <laughs> fall for ball. I think it's too on the nose and too obvious. I don't really like that one. I kind of like for that ball. One, Okay, fall for <laughs> ball. It's easy. What about... This one's just funny. We're donezo for Lonzo. <laughs> <laughs> no action for Josh Jackson. Oh, yeah, that's good. <laughs> and lastly, this isn't even a slogan, but I like last half faults. Nice. You know, you like that, right? Glass half full. So there we go. So even though we're tanking, we got to keep it glass half full. So there you go. Those are my tank slogans for now. If you guys have any that you want to throw our way at Lakers Legacy Pod on Twitter, do it now. So this is just the start, folks. Our intro to the 2017 NBA draft. Tankapalooza, it's here. Embrace the tank. Trust the process. Flash the progress. to understand that I'm more than simply a hype man for this rap group. Just like Geico is more than just a company that can save you money. Geico also has fast and friendly claim service so they can help you when you need it most. And while I do love being a hype man, I also love reading for children's audiobooks. Like Little Bo Peep, she lost the sheep and she don't know where to find them. Yo! Geico. Expect great savings and a whole lot more. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents, which means you're going to start telling your kids to clean up before the cleaning lady comes. Doesn't make sense, but you're the parent and they're the kids. You're going to start telling them that now, too. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. And there's your opening to remind them who pays the bills around here. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. This is what flow from Progressive sounds like in one of our many hilarious commercials. Hi, did you know that you can get a quote on your motorcycle insurance in under three minutes at Progressive.com? And did you know that saying hi makes even bad news sound good? Hi, you have high cholesterol. Hi, you're fine. And this is what that same commercial sounds like on your motorcycle. Hi, there's no more even our commercials sound better on a bike. And with basic policy starting at $75 a year, Progressive helps keep you on yours. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Annual premium for basic liability policy not available in all states.